Well, good morning, friends. Uh, I've entitled this message today, If You're Happy Because You Know It. Hopefully, if you're a Christian following Jesus, if you're part of this thing, you know something about the Bible. You, you know one or two truths about our faith. And many of us walk around being like, it is so hard to be a Christian. We just, we carry this burden of knowing the truth, this burden of knowing, you know, God loves us. He created us good. He's redeemed us. He's going to redeem all of creation. Like, it's so hard. Like, this is amazing. What a relief if I did not know what I know about God's character and God's plans from scripture. I would really be so uh, confused about the mess around us or, or depressed about, you know, my, my future, un- uncertain. We may walk through some very tough things uh, as, as Christians, may have to face some real struggles, but our faith is not one of the hard things. When my husband and I were first dating, I, I had this flip phone. So you open it, and uh, however many text messages you got, they, they come up sequentially, not on like one thread. So, you know, he'd send me some text messages, just come down, 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 take up your whole text message box. And um, my friends could always tell when Stephen was texting me because I get like this little smile on my face, like, oh, Sarah, it's, it's Stephen's texting you, isn't he? That's just, it, it showed on my face. I, I gave it away. Uh, I think about my dad similarly. He grew up in upstate New York country. He was, he was a farm boy. And we could always tell when Grandpa called because my dad would answer the phone and uh, he'd say hello. Oh, why hello now and start to s- talk real slow. You know, when you know who you're talking to, when you know who you're talking about, it just it comes out. It, it shows. When we talk about our Heavenly Father, we're not talking about an enemy. We're not even talking about a neutral party. We are talking about our loving Heavenly Father. Know it and show it. When we know God, it leads to joy. We're going to talk today about knowing God, knowing who He is, and some really practical ways that that can lead us into greater joy in our life. So let's pray together as we get started. And Jesus, we thank you uh, for all the things that you have done for us. Thank you that you are on our side, Jesus. Thank you that you desire good for us. And this morning, we just pray over ourselves and declare to ourselves that we are your sons and your daughters, that you are our good, loving, heavenly Father. We receive that truth in our core. And Jesus, as we turn to Scripture... Would you speak to our hearts and our minds? Would you speak to my heart and my mind? Thank you that your word is powerful and effective. And this morning, I pray that it would produce joy in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, guys, uh, let's recap uh, where our forefathers in faith were, the Israelites, what they have been through in their journey that we've been following in Ezra Nehemiah. Let's take a look. It was originally a unified work written by a single author. The story is set after the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem and its temple and took many of the people into exile. And this book picks up about 50 years later and tells the return of some Israelites to Jerusalem and then what happened when they rebuilt the city and their lives there. Specifically, the book focuses on three key leaders who led the rebuilding efforts. You have Zerubbabel, then Ezra, and then Nehemiah. 
And the book's design focuses on the efforts of each leader. Zerubbabel leads a large group of people back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. Then about 60 years later, Ezra arrives in Jerusalem to teach the Torah and rebuild the community. And then he's followed by Nehemiah, who leads the rebuilding of Jerusalem's walls. And these three stories are designed to be parallel. Each begins with the king of Persia, prompted by God to send the leader to Jerusalem, and he offers resources and support. And then each leader encounters opposition in their efforts, which they then overcome, but in a way that leads to a strange anticlimax in each of the three parts. I want to pause it there. If we get anything out of our our ancestors story it should be this god does not punish god doesn't punish he redeems and remakes and restores eugene peterson christian author says uh, god's anger is only a sign of his concerned involvement god is not indifferent to us he doesn't say Ah, fine, it's, it's a bad choice, but I'm not going to worry my divine self with your mistakes. He is passionately committed to us and involved and invested in us. He doesn't punish. He renews and remakes and makes things better. And that's exactly what we're seeing in the story of the Jewish people as they return from exile. God has given them an opportunity to rebuild and to remake and be redeemed. He was getting them ready, preparing them as best they were able to be prepared for something better. At the core of our faith is the great quote-unquote punishment of the cross that was not laid upon people, but that God took himself. God doesn't punish people. God takes people's punishment away. And even that punishment was not for punishment's sake. The cross is only there for resurrection. The cross is only there for resurrection. The apostle Paul said that Uh, Everything ultimately pivots around the resurrection. If Jesus rose as he said he would, then we must follow him. If he did not, then why would we follow him? The cross is only there for the resurrection. The exile was only there for the return. Winter is here for the spring. And God's love runs through it all. So that's the Israelites' big story of renewal and returning. Let's see where that right now. Ezra and Nehemiah combine forces to bring about a spiritual renewal among the people. They gather all the exiles together for a festival. They read and teach the Torah to all the people for seven days. And then they celebrate the ancient Feast of Tabernacles to remember God's faithfulness from the Exodus and the wilderness journeys. Then they offer a confession of their sins. They vow themselves to renew the covenant, follow all the commands of the Torah. And they finish with a great celebration over the temple, the walls of Jerusalem. And we're thinking this could be the turning point, but it's not. All right. So at the beginning of this seven-day Bible marathon, we're going to be starting looking in chapter 8 of Nehemiah. They came together as a community, listened together, searched their hearts. Ezra most likely read uh, Exodus uh, into Deuteronomy, where they rediscover the Feast of the Tabernacle. Uh, They're at the Watergate in the center of the city, not just you know, in church, but just out in the open marketplace. Looking at chapter 8, verses 5 through 12, Ezra stood on the platform in full view of all the people. When they saw him open the book, they all rose to their feet. Then Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people chanted, Amen, Amen. As they lifted their hands, then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces 
to the ground. The Levites, uh, all, all of them are listed out here. They instructed the people in the law while everyone remained in their places. So one person would read from this platform loudly, and they'd have like tutors going around to different groups. Um, they read the book of the law of God and clearly explained the meaning of what was being read, helping the people understand each passage. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were interpreting for the people said to them, Don't mourn or weep on such a day as this, for today is a sacred day before the Lord your God. For the people had all been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. And Nehemiah continued, he said, go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with the people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before our Lord. Do not be dejected or sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Levites too quieted the people, telling them, hush, don't weep, for this is a sacred day. So the people went away to eat and drink I had a festive meal to share gifts of food and to celebrate with great joy because they had heard the words of God and had understood them. This is the word of the Lord. So the people, they, they hear the words of, of God, the rules and the story of their ancestors read, and they said, we have messed up. God is punishing us. Ezra says, no, no, no. God is restoring us. Ezra is really focused on them understanding. He gets these individual tutors to, to teach them and clarify any questions they have. He just really wants to get them to know who God is. The Hebrew scriptures all throughout talk about understanding. Uh, the, the phrase, that they shall know me. God wants people to get who he is, to understand God. This is the human divine relationship, and it leads us into joy because God doesn't punish. He, he restores, and when we know who God is, then we can have real lasting and abiding joy. The purpose of reading scripture is to understand, to understand who God is. He is the main aim of all of scripture. And when we know who God is, when we know who, what his plans are, then we can live in a deep, lasting joy. So what does this tell us practically about how to have more joy in our life individually and as a community here at Vineyard Church? Well, number one, when we read the Bible, we, we're not reading it for, for doctrine, uh, but for delighting in who God is. We're not reading it for things to put in a do or do not list. We're reading it to know who our Heavenly Father is. So when we read it together as a community, we want it to lead us to God, not just to talk about God. When you read the Bible by yourself, you know, short section in the morning, and I go, go through, I want to ask this is telling me about my heavenly father. How can I let this, you know, let me love God more, let bring me closer to God when when I read this. And then as we read, as we understand who God is, we need to allow, and this is the key word, allow, not make or try or work harder. We need to allow that to produce joy in us. If we will let it, knowing God, I believe really will ultimately make us us happier. The Bible says God loves us, God wins, God is on our side. Every evil and injustice will, will be righted. The cross is only there for the resurrection. Like, it's a really happy, hopeful 
story. And when we can let that story sink deep into our core, it produces joy in us. You know, there's a verse in the Bible that says, encourage yourself in the Lord. But to be honest, many of us discourage ourselves in the Lord. We come before God and we pray and our prayers are like, Oh, a list of everyone's problems, my neighbor's problem, this problem with our country, this problem with the world, my family's problem, my personal problem, all our problems. After we get done with all our problems, then we move on to our shoulds. And I know I should have been uh, nicer to my wife and kids. I should have given them more money away. I should have prayed. I should have shared my faith. Like, that is not an encouraging prayer. And to be honest, I, I understand those prayers. It's taken me a while to learn how to encourage myself in, in the Lord, how to go to God and let him make my soul, how to let the gospel rise up to produce hope and happiness in me. You know, now I think I let God kind of reassure me uh, there's certainly times when I really intercede over problems, you know, really uh, take people's problems and just go before the Lord in them or um, re repent the things I should have done. But for, you know, more, more time, I just take my problems and gently place them before the Lord in an attitude of trust, um, spend more time listening, hearing God's perspective. And then I will ask God to, to give me joy, to, to give me that hope, that encouragement that I need. And I'll expect to get it and wait for it. Um, you know, there are times when I'm like, hmm, I kind of want to wrap this up, God. I got other things to do, places to be. Like just last week, I was like, ah, I really wanted to make it to run this errand. But I'm like, I just, I don't feel better yet. I wanted to like stay and actually, actually get Get the good stuff. Wait with with God until I receive that that hope, that peace, that joy. Um, my uh, my daughter, uh, maybe a year or two ago, she lost a brand new pair of earrings down the the drain in the the bathroom sink. And you know, I mean, you can call a plumber if it's like a a diamond ring or something like that. But these things, they were just down there, and there's not not much more we we could do about these new earrings. And she was sad and. So she goes to uh, my husband, and she's like, Daddy, make me happy. That's so sweet. Daddy, make me happy. But I think that's a good prayer to pray to God. I think that's part of what Jesus meant when he told us to pray, to ask God for our daily bread, to give us those good, satisfying, filling things that we need. So I, I encourage you, no pun intended, to encourage yourself in the Lord. And then as we look at joy, as these people were encouraged towards joy, moving into joy, joy is generous. The people were, you know, crying over scripture instead of rejoicing like, you know, Ezra said. And it's like, no, 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 no. Just, just go, go and eat something. But don't just eat something. Make it a good meal. Don't just make it a good meal. Make it a great meal and share it because good food is good. But sharing good food makes it into a party, makes it into a celebration fitting for a holy occasion like this. A nice meal is good. Sharing a nice meal makes it into a party. The little pleasures in life are good. It is better to share. Joy is 
generous. You know, and as we look at what Ezra told the people to do, go go share food with others who didn't have anything uh, prepared, you know, it would really be remiss to, to talk about Ezra's leadership and what they're going through here without talking about Ezra's care for the poor. Chapter 5, um, just previously, people were in uh, dire financial straits. They, they come to him. Uh, they explain, well, one reason is that they're borrowing money when they're really just hard up, and then they're paying it back with interest. Uh, Ezra is super angry over this. He calls a meeting. Um, he says, listen, I'm trying to restore the Jewish people, but you're you know, keeping them in slavery with loaning them uh, money on interest. No more of this. Uh, it's, you know, it was just an un- unjust practice that uh, Ezra had no um, no tolerance for. You know, we see this continuing in our day, payday loans. People are, you know, in a tough spot. Maybe they don't have um, steady income to maintain the minimums needed for a bank account. So you get a check. How do you get cash? You take it to some place that takes 20% of it. Um, in the Bible, this is called usury. And throughout most of Christian history, it's been, you know, charging interest has been a serious sin because... It makes profit for people who already have money while the poor are held back. So Ezra really takes this on, tackles this, uh, talking about why. Why are um, these people struggling financially? What's the systems and causes behind it? Um, And he's just, he's not okay with things the way they are. Listen, back 500 years ago, or 500 BC, people wanted to charge interest uh, on their loans. They're like, it's my money, why else would I? And Ezra says, no, he holds to an ideal in his leadership, the ideal of God's, how God wants uh, the poor to be treated and cared for. Um, also in his personal life, Ezra really cared for the poor. He limited his consumption. He did not take his full salary, what was allowed him as a governor, because he felt like that was a burden to the people. Uh, we're told that every day he had 150 people eating at his table uh, uh, for dinner. So he really, he lived generously. I think this is important, that when the people heard this and said, oh, woe is me, it's just automatic for Ezra, that uh following God just doesn't go together with like gloomy, you know, sorrow. And um, no, following God for Ezra, it's, it's a party. I think he lived this out, that joy is generous. When we read the Bible, you know, how, how do we respond? Do we respond more like the Israelites or, or more the, like Ezra, who just automatically, you know, following God, hearing scriptures, knowing who God is, is, is a joyful thing. You know, when we, when we read the Bible, do we say, oh, I'm just mm, terrible person. God had to come and like help me and, and save me. You know, I guess I'll go home and make myself some dry toast, porridge, gruel, whatever. Or do we say, do we make it about God and say, yay, God has been so good to me. I am God's beloved child. Let's, let's go home, throw, throw a party. You know, many churches, this is the reason why we have a little party after church. Churches call it coffee hour or some churches there's a little meet and greet time within the service. Because when we've heard what God has done for us, we're like, yeah, let's throw a little party. Like, let's hear the Bible and then go go eat a donut. You know, the Bible is really like a, a, a chocolate or donut kind of book. Uh, I feel like we do uh, devotions with our family and uh, f- we call it family night. And uh, we'll have dinner 
And then we'll, we'll have dessert. We don't always have dessert, but we always have de- a nice dessert on family night. Then we read the Bible together, do whatever we're doing for prayer. Then we play a game together. Because I just feel like the Bible and following Jesus and the Christian formation that I want for my kids goes in a context of games and fun and dessert. That's how we do it. Uh, for me personally, I brought in a little uh, momentum. I tore this off my uh, bulletin board um, in my room. This says, uh, I don't deserve pleasure. I am meant for joy. So I've got a little board up in uh, my room where I put some of the things I feel like God is speaking to me personally. I'm kind of a slow learner. So I just I just want to, to look at it for a little while, soak it in, see it many times throughout the day. Eventually, it, uh, I'll start to get it. Um, but one of the things I feel like God's been speaking to me is this phrase, I don't deserve pleasure. I meant for joy. Because I, maybe like some of you, I'll come home after a day of leading a, a, a middle-class lifestyle here in probably the richest country, uh, one of the richest countries on the earth, to the, a lifestyle level that's unimaginable um, for most of humans throughout history. I'll say, whew, what a tough day. I certainly deserve whatever, chocolate or, you know, move it, just relaxing, just vegging out. Um, you know, the, these things are just kind of just, and I, I realized that I'm like bribing myself to go do an interesting job or I'm like rewarding myself because I have energetic, interesting kids or, you know, I'm just, I want to be deeply happy with what my life is and not substitute these little things. Um, I don't want entertainment, escapism, junk foods, certainly not wine, to take, you know, the place of those deeply meaningful and satisfying things that are going to produce a joy in me. I want, I want to spend my time reading a good book, taking a walk, praying, journaling, making something, creating something, reaching out to a friend, helping someone, taking a nap, sleeping, these things that are restorative and good for me. So friends, how do we let, what, what are some practical things that we can do to let knowing God produce real joy in us? Well, as we wrap it up, I think living into this idea that joy is generous. And um, we, we don't go out and try and get joy for ourselves. God produces it. Uh, what makes other people happy? Do, do more of that. Do do more of things that are going to produce joy in other people. I think that's one of the most joy-filled things for us. Uh, what makes my family happy? What do my kids like? Um, I think one of the things I try and do as a parent is kind of track my kids' joy levels um, and just spend more time throughout the day of, of eye contact and connecting and fun little activities for them. Um, pay attention to other people's joy levels and invest in their joy and don't accept substitutes. Don't take the Netflix, movies, you know, junk food route when God holds out real joy for us. Say, ask yourself, what is really helpful to, to my energy levels, to my levels of satisfaction uh, with life, and really pursue those things. We live in a culture with, with so much escapism, so much easy pleasures. God has real, full life and joy for us. 
And then lastly, encourage yourself in the Lord. Go before God and ask for the peace, for the hope that you need, and stick with God until you receive it. Friends, Scripture tells us that right now, God is sitting on his throne, planning up good things for you. What does God do in his spare time? He dreams up blessings for you. God loves us. God is in a good mood. There is no reason at all that we should not run to him to receive the joy and encouragement and hope that we need. Let's pray together. Jesus, as we have seen in your word, uh, would it be true in our lives? Right now, I just I pray over all of us that you would banish from our souls any idea of an uh, angry or a judgmental God, Jesus, that you would plant deep in our hearts, deep in the core of our being, the truth of you being our loving Heavenly Father who has only good plans for us. Jesus, would we know you deeply this morning? Would we know you? Would we understand that your plans are for our good and our restoration? Thank you, Jesus. We receive that truth. Would you uh, produce joy in us? And would you produce joy that blesses those around us to be in the presence of joyful followers of Jesus? In your name we pray. Amen.